I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nice and our Stage 11 Vuelta Espana recap. We have a lot to discuss tactically and I think we're going to have some beef, Benji and I. Uh, I think we disagree on a few things as well. I'm piping hot, I'm fired up, and this podcast is brought to you by our partner, LeCole. They produce performance road cycling apparel, only they're provided to Byron McLaren. Byron McLaren, by the way, Wout Poles, he's the Angleroo killer. He's, I think, come like top three on the Angleroo at least twice, maybe three times in his career. Really good on the climb, and maybe we'll expect that tomorrow on the Angleroo. But if you want to check out LeCole's kit, we've been getting a lot of good feedback about it. Uh, a lot of people have been saying their orders have come in and they're really happy with it, Benji included as well. You can check it out at www.lecole.cc. That's in the show notes. But today's stage was maybe even harder than a lot of the Tour de France mountain stages or any of the Tour de France mountain stages, to be honest, given the gradients on these climbs from Villa, Villa Vicchiosa to Alto de, Alto de la Farapona. 168 Ks, four Category 1 climbs. The first one shouldn't be a Cat 1. We told you yesterday. So we've got 7 Ks at 4.5%, 7 Ks at 6.5%, 10 Ks at 8.5%, 9.3 Ks at 9%, and 18.6 Ks at 5.7%. But it's really the last 7 Ks of the final climb are at like 8.5%, so very hard climbs. But quite steep, so the drafting benefit is reduced because they're not really going significantly above 20Ks now. But a, a breakaway did form Benji in a pretty, pretty strong one. Guillaume Martin was there. Why was Martin, or Martin, why was he there in the break and, and who else had joined him? Well, before we had that group, I'd like to turn it back towards the actual beginning of the stage where there was so much action to try and go in the breakaway that we had multiple breakaways getting away and the first one did not have Guillaume Martin. And that was to the unliking of Cofidis. So the initial breakaway was the likes of Oliveira, Lopez, that is Juan Pedro Lopez, I think, for Trek. I could be wrong in that. Then we've got Isagire, Germay, Kort, Jean Poussin, Valens, Van der Sande, Peixon, Mader, Rojas, and Serrano. So that's the initial breakaway. They got a minute. And that group stayed away for quite a bit. I was happy my, well, your pick, Jean Poussin, was in it. I think you named him as the radio would see if this was a breakaway victory. So he was in there initially, but Kofidis wasn't happy. Guillaume needed to be in the breakaway because Guillaume is the opponent of Wellens for the KOM classification right now. And I think Guillaume is also the active wearer of that shirt before the stage started. Now, that group didn't hold on. That group did not hold on because the Kofidis pace and some other teams that wanted someone up there were deciding to pace as well. And eventually a new breakaway formed with Niklas A. I think that's how you pronounce it for Trek Segafredo. Mark Donovan for Sunweb together with his teammate Michael Storer. We've got Bruno Armirai for FDG. Godou as well, so a teammate for Godou. Then Wellens for Lotus Sudal. And we had 
Guillaume Martin from Cofidis and Nelson Oliveira of Movistar. So Guillaume Martin made it in that breakaway and he was ready to try and counter Wellens 40k went points. They eventually fought on every single climb and towards the end of the stage, the active wearer of that shirt is still Guillaume Martin. Why? Because Wellens was actually pretty far behind. I think he was fifth before the stage started in the classification with Cascada Paz and so forth being second and third on that. Martin now leading with 26 points over Cass, and Guillaume Martin is also basically on 50 points. So more than half of his points as an advantage on the others. So he's uh, pretty clear right now. We'll see in the future what that will do. But at the moment, it's looking like he's slowly but surely making sure that he is securing that jersey. And knowing the stages that are to come, I don't see that changing too much because Martin's probably going to fight for it every single stage. And because of this, I was not really expecting Martin to play too much of a role at the finish anymore because he spent so much energy on these KOM points against Twellens and so forth that I just didn't see it happening. In the breakaway, we saw an attack by the likes of Nelson Oliveira, but that was just a moment after we saw someone bridge up from the peloton. Marc Soler was being brought to the breakaway by, well, himself. He was going on a solo attack to bridge the gap on one of the ascensions throughout the day. And he got to that breakaway and followed an attack by Oliveira with Guillaume Martin on the wheel with about 55 kilometers to go on the second last climb. But that attack didn't hold. The breakaway came back together. We saw Oliveira drop pretty quickly in that breakaway. So Soler was up there at that point. They had a gap of 2 minutes 50 seconds on paper that brings Soler up to, I think, 4th in GC on a solid minute at that point. Did you believe at a certain point that Jumbo or whoever was pacing in the peloton at that point was going to leave Soler and let him allow to take this much time back without countering anything? No, I thought I thought they were going to pace, and Ineos were pacing with Cam Worth, and Cam Worth is strong, but the problem is he's not he's not efficient, and efficiency is very very important when you are leading the peloton for you know Tony Martin will do it for for an hour maybe more, so Cam Worth will. He's a sort of rider where he'll control a gap by, especially on terrain like this, he would ride the same pace on maybe the easier Cat 1 as the breakaway or maybe even 25, 30 seconds quicker he'd eat into the gap, but then he gave it all away on the descent. And on the descent he'd give it back because you could tell, when you, and I was, I was watching because I was trying to, maybe I'm unfairly targeting him because I'm like he's coming back from triathlon and, uh, I focus on his looking at his handling, etc. But you can see the Yumbo guys taking better lines than him. Him going strange lines, a little bit slower. The Yumbo Yumbo guys having a break behind him. So yeah, he, he's not a guy that I felt can really chew into a breakaway's margin. Whereas when Tony Martin's like, yeah, you've had your fun in the sun, guys. Um, time to bring it back. He really can can eat into it. So. But that being said, I'm not sure that really answers your question, Benji. I just went on a camera Cam Worth tangent. The answer is yes. I thought Ineos and Yumbo Visma were going to be working together to bring back uh, the breakaway. I didn't think because because I didn't think it was going to be that hard because the gap was never that big. It, the, the breakaway was never that big, and they had so many resources, particularly, particularly Yumbo Visma, to throw at it. Did we, did you think they were going to let it go to like six, seven minutes or something? Not really, because, well, Soler is in there as well, and they know that they shouldn't give Soler three minutes or something. 
just in case. Probably it's not going to hurt him if he have if he even has three minutes in GC. But yeah, I didn't see it happening. I did kind of expect Jumbo when they decided to take control on two minutes to try and keep that up and try and close down the gap a bit more towards the end of the stage. And therefore, I was still betting on the peloton to try and do it. But on the other hand, they don't need to because they have the team that currently has Roglic in the lead. We can counter this later, but first of all, they got Roglic in the lead, a man that is benefiting from the time trial being in the future with no competition at all regarding riders that are able to time trial. And therefore, he's he's able to do this, but if we recall ourselves with the TDF, we can compare it there and say that in the TDF they applied the same strategy and therefore they end up not having enough time on Pogacar that ends up taking that much time back. I don't think in the time trial this will happen, but imagine if he has a mechanical or anything in the future. Then I would be expecting Jumbo to pace more on the stage to try and get back this breakaway ASAP, to try and gain more time on its competitors. And try and make sure that future mechanicals and so forth are counterbalanced already. So that's my view on this. Is it similar to what's Okay, you let or... me ask you another question. Yeah. If Jumbo Visner didn't have a stage win in this world year, and maybe they didn't have too many stage wins in the Tour de France, etc., do you think they would have paced the break back more aggressively? Knowing how Roglic is also very willing to get stage wins, I'm guessing yes. And yeah, I, I think, think they would have I done think it. him winning yesterday affected it. I think his his win yesterday is like, come on, let's not be greedy. Just kind of take today off a little bit and let's lean on maybe just all they did just lean on Hofstede and Vingegaard and pretty much take the day off. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought they were going to bring it back and they. I don't know what you thought that that was in their mind, Benji, because I thought they were bringing it back. They sort of were keeping it at two minutes, three minutes. And then what was the moment that Soler bridged? I'm not sure if you already mentioned Soler bridging across. That was a stroke of genius from Movistar. Yeah, it was a bit earlier. It was on the uh, second last climb, I think, or the third last climb. Either of the two, they bridged to that breakaway. And that's indeed kind of why I was anticipating that Jumbo would control it better maybe from that point onwards. But I also didn't feel like Soler was really the danger that they needed to catch at that point. So I feel like... Movistar played it safely and played it very cleverly by doing that because they know that Jumbo doesn't have too much of an incentive to try and pace down Solaire so they can bring up better in GC even if he loses the stage in the end or anything then he would still gain enough time to try and up the standards in GC but I feel like other people could do the same strategy and I think you you talked about this before the podcast very slowly that um, you would expect Jumbo to do something similar, right? Or at least try something similar to perhaps position Cuz or Bennett in the breakaway? No, I didn't think they were going to put them in a break. I mean, they could have. I, 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 I would try and do that. I would have tried to do exactly what Mola started with Soler with Sipkus, uh, but that's quite an, more of an aggressive move. I didn't expect them to do that because it's Jumbo Vism, but I did... That's obviously, yeah, you're right, Benji. That is a great option for them because, listen, they've got in GC, they have Sepkus. Where is he now? Oh, he's quite a way back. He's 10 minutes back. Uh, is he or is he? Uh, yeah, he's 10 minutes 30 back and he's still quite a way back after today's stage. So he's still not very helpful on GC. But they've got George Bennett 
Um, in their 11th on GC, I think he's like four minutes back. Why not play the George Bennett card in the breakaway? He, before today's stage, was neck and neck or next to Mark Soler on on, um, on GC. So they had a couple of cards to play. I thought they were going to, and full disclosure, but it, before I get cranky later in the podcast, just so people don't accuse me of being like, oh, you're magic because you just lost a bet, etc. I didn't bet on Roglic for a stage win or anything. I bet on Vlasov for a stage win, so that doesn't really change my opinion on anything at all, really. Um, and I didn't think, <laughs> I didn't think, and I laid Carapaz. So yeah, doesn't really that doesn't affect my opinions on that are forthcoming on this. But yeah, I thought there's always options Jumbo Visma can do. They've got an embarrassment of riches, and um, they just I don't expect them to use them. Except sometimes they have been a little bit more aggressive with Coos on the last climb. So I thought it was going to be the last climb where they would be aggressive. But pacing, they're pacing with uh, after Camworths sort of finish for the day, Jumbo Visma pretty much take over. They're pacing with Hofstede for a long time, and this gap is not moving. It's like 250, 230 on the end of the uh, second to last climb, and then the Puerto de San Lorenzo, then on the descent and the little short valley or rise before the main, the last climb starts properly. It goes back out to 3 minutes 10, You've got Marc Soler, David Guerreau, and Guillaume Martin. These aren't scrubs. They're legit climbers. Marc Soler's up there in top 10 on GC. David Guerreau, on his day, very, very good climber, one to Lavenir. Um, Guillaume Martin uh, as well. He was in top 10 on GC in the Tour de France for over over two weeks. So they're not guys you can just give a six-minute gap to on the on this climb, maybe like a Remy Cavagna, who you'd be like, okay, we'll bring him back. Um, it ain't that sort of guys. You've also got Stora and I think who else was with Stora? The Sunway was a power um, as well. And Nelson Oliveira is my MVP of today. I think the break got where it was because of Nelson Oliveira. We've, I've said it ad nauseum now. Movistar's strength is its flat men. Oliveira, Arcas, Rojas, uh, sorry if I'm missing anybody, Irviti, Verona. I've, I've said it almost half the podcast for this welter. They're crazy strong. Um, but, yeah, what was the what was the exact situation, Benji? I'm not sure if you got the, the KM stamp of going into the last climb. Who was on the front for Jumbo Visma? Who was in the break? And what was the time gap going into the f- final climb? Well, they had the flat teammates space before the climb started but we know that the climb was starting at about a solid 14 kilometers from the line where it really starts ramping up a tiny bit more than than just a false flat area because the first section of that climb we said it before yesterday is a bit of a fake news climb that it starts off pretty slowly it has a steep section at about 14k to go and then goes with a flat false flat uphill section at about three percent again towards the very steep last 6.5 kilometers. For this fast section, the majority was done by the flat teammates and Vingegaard, which is not exactly the the biggest climber on the jumbo team. We've got Bennett, we've got Kuss, we've got Hiesink. They try to keep these people as long as possible. Bennett potentially because he's relatively high up in GC, so you could use that as an excuse. But Vingegaard was used for the majority of that false flat section towards that last 6.5 kilometers. And 
I think you were saying that you would expect casing to take over sooner. I would add to that that I personally would have just seen Hasing take the front sooner before that 6.5 kilometer margin when it really started ramping up because I feel like getting the stage win should not be the real goal here, but potentially gaining time on others should always be a try. And Jumbo decided not to do that. They decided to wait even longer and basically ride Vingega towards the last, I think it was two and a half kilometers, right? Something like that. Yeah, we saw the death knell for the peloton catching this breakaway. Even though they were chewing into the gap, getting it down to 1 minute 50, 1 minute 45. And even though now the same guys in that break, Oliveira's pulled off, Godot, Soler. Soler's just doing Soler things, surging, (laughs) half attacking them. Um, They're kind of having to work with him because he's doing the majority of the work. Like To his credit, Soler did pull that breakaway a lot on the last climb. But the Sunweb guys were starting to help a little bit. It was herky-jerky. But, yeah, uh, Visma just left Vingegaard on the front. And that's when I knew that they didn't really care or they'd given up on bringing the breakaway back. They're like, well, pace, if the breakaway implodes and we catch it, so be it. But we don't really care about the bonus seconds today. And they were more – it was clear they were more intent on not burning Bennett or Coos matches. Even Hessink they were protecting because Hessink barely paced at all. So you can say that, oh, well, Yumbo are pacing. They're trying to bring back the breakaway, but you've got to think, who are they pacing with? Who have they used in their train? Who are they protecting in their train? By choosing to pace with Hofstetter for that long and Vingegaard for that, for that long, they've effectively not chased the breakaway properly and they've pretty much just controlled the race. So... Yeah, that, that's. I thought they weren't going to catch the breakaway from a long way out. I thought from 15 to 17 Ks when I saw that Hofstetter wouldn't, wasn't really chewing into the gap after the, the last descent, I thought they weren't going to catch the breakaway just because of the way I knew they weren't going to use Bennett and Coos as well. Like If they just lit up that final climb, sure, they catch them. But I knew they weren't going to do that, possibly because we've got Angleroo uh, tomorrow. But... Let's talk about what happened in in the break, Benji. So the breakaway is going to win. We've got two somewhat guys, Guillaume Martin, Marc Soler. We love to hate him, but we also love him really um, <laughs> because he, he's exciting, right? He makes yeah, true. Does he? He actually animated the race today, and David Godot. And he, David Godot doesn't have a big world tour stage win, I don't think, to his name before today. Um, he came third in Dauphiné GC. But yeah, not. He's got a few wins, but nothing. He doesn't have a Grand Tour win. Um, but he obviously won Tour de Lavenir back in 2016. So they're pretty much starting to test each other out, but not full on attacking each other. And when did the uh, the two the two big climbers from this group really separate, Benji? So we knew those two riders were the best climbers in the group, but Godu and Soler, there is a bit of a difference in what they do as a style. Godu seems to be the more fought Drew rider that doesn't take too much of the work in the group on himself. And Soler is usually the person that tries to attack early on, tries to drop somebody and then and falls back in that attack. Soler made the move initially. And by Soler making that move in that second group, I was leaning more towards Godu to actually come out on top in the end, just because of that fact. It's the it's a fact that we've seen Soler drawback every single time after he attacks in the past already. So 
it's logical that we think about that and see Godou as the favorite of that two-man group then. But if we go further, the tempo in the peloton just kept going relatively slow. And because of that, the gap to the peloton from that breakaway was at around two minutes and a half suddenly again after it went down to a minute 50. And because of that, the people at the front, those two riders having already 30 seconds on Sunweb, could actually go a bit slower. And I think that Godou took the front for quite a while there. And Solaire was in the wheel of Godou, pretty much pretending to not be able to take over at a few moments, I would say. And Solaire didn't take over as much and didn't really do any proper moves before we got into the final one kilometer. And therefore, I think Solaire would have potentially gotten a bit of energy back and could actually be a, a competitor for Godou. But we know from the past that Godou can also do finishes. I think it was to the Swiss or Dauphiné last year, one of the two, where he was riding pretty well and took one of those stages at the end with a pretty punchy attack. And, well, Godou had that plan. In the last kilometer, they went into that kilometer and suddenly Godou launched his attack. Soler looked like he was able to hang on for quite a bit. We saw that Soler did look a bit more worried than a few kilometers ago, gotta be honest. And it took just that other extra punch by Godou to really leave Soler behind in the last 500 meters. And Godou was riding towards his victory of this La Vuelta. He said beforehand that he was trying to go for GC in this La Vuelta. And it didn't really turn out like that. They had Pinot here for stage wins. He wasn't too far behind in GC. So on paper, he did take quite a few quite a few places back. But I'd say that Soler is the biggest winner when it comes to GC in this stage, despite coming second in the stage. And actually, as I stand corrected, I don't see uh, I don't see Godou too far up in GFC. I think he went up to stage well, place twelve, so still on five minutes of uh, the GC leader Roglic, while Soler moved up from ten to sixth on two forty four as the peloton was fighting for these scraps. Now we had a wonderful rider attack in the second group in the elite group as Godou was finishing, and it was a rider that was on the podcast last few days ago, right? Yeah, it was Vlaso. And he was trying to, I think he maybe missed a trick today in that, oh, not really actually, because I thought he did the right thing. I thought that the best chance for him to get a stage win was going to be staying in this GC group because I thought the break wasn't going to succeed today. I don't think, I thought you thought the GC men were going to have today as well, Benji, because they sort of, they generally have before, except for the rainy stage. And he's around the same time or even further out than Godou and uh and Soler on GC before today's stage. So he could have got in the break, I guess. So he missed out in that sense. But he attacked trying to gain some time back. Once again, I think Soler, the cameras missed it. I'm pretty sure he attacked Godou, Godou with uh, like 400, 500 to go and Godou closed it down and he cooked himself for the sprint. But yeah, Vlasov attacked off what wasn't a very hard Jumbo Visma pace. They were letting the gap grow to Soler. Um, we saw Mikel Nieve had like appeared at the front randomly just before Vlasov attacked, which suggested that the pace was not very hard and the peloton weren't really single file. Vlasov got a good gap. No one chased him, obviously, like we thought, like I thought was going to happen, but he didn't really end up gaining that many seconds. Unfortunately, he did keep his gap to the GC guys, but he only ended up gaining five seconds on them on the road. 
I don't think he gained any bonus seconds because in the stage it was go to Soler mopping up one and two and then Stora Donovan, three and four for Sunweb, the Australian and the Brit, and then fifth was Guillaume Martin who finished three seconds ahead of Vlasov. So I don't even think he picked up any really bonus seconds, maybe one or two if it goes down that far, um, Vlasov. So unfortunate for him. I'm not sure if he knew the status of the breakaway up the road, but you could see he was only 58 seconds behind them. Just a bit more pace. That's what I always thought. I thought, and this leads into, I think, the, the main discussion point for today, Benji, and what I thought Jumbo Visma uh, should have done, which was allow Sepp Kuss to go for a stage win or George Bennett to gain some time on, on GC. And I know we've got Anglaru tomorrow, but still a Grand Tour stage. You've still got Carapaz isolated. Um, and we saw that the pace they were riding at the end of this climb wasn't very hard. Whatever people say afterwards, it wasn't very hard or their maximum because Nieve was sort of surging at the front. We've not seen him all Vuelta. And Vlasov was attacking and getting a, a fairly decent gap. But Chavez had an issue with the mechanical. He lost seven places on GC. He's down 5.40, 5 minutes 40 behind now. He's gone from 7th to 14th. He was on the second to last climb, had a mechanical, had a long chase back, then I think got dropped on the last climb. Um, but I think there's a lot of criticism or some criticism of Jumbo Visma's strategy today, Benji. What do you think, if you were the director sportif of Jumbo Visma, say we're going to go up to the point where Soler... Uh, goes into the break and gets into the break with Oliveira. How do you manage the stage from that point all the way through to the final climb? What would you be doing as Yumbo's DS? So firstly, we know that at that point we see that Soler is attacking. Perhaps you could try and already send Cousin Bennett with Soler, but it's impossible to know when Soler is going to attack and it's probably pretty chaotic to come in and say, Gus, 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 come on, come on, move up, move up, follow, follow Soler. So probably at that moment, it, uh, it might have been a, a difficult decision on the spot. So I can't really put too much criticism on not being with Soler there as a Gus or as a Bennett. But I think that being with Soler would have allowed them to, well, they wouldn't have to pace as hard in that following group because if I recall correctly, Bennett is very similarly placed in GCS Soler. So they'd basically be putting another rider they have in a really good position. What I would have used better was more the final climb. We've got Jumbo pacing with Vingegaard. And here is where I've got both criticism on Ineos and on Jumbo. We see Ineos, a team that has used Vambale, that has used Amador, that has used Froome on the climbs before in this Vuelta. We see Froome drop before the climb starts. I do not 100% believe, even in his current form, that he was already done working. He just dropped. And I do not believe at all that he was done. The climb hadn't even started the last one. Obviously, they've had the ones before that. But if Cameron Wealth is pacing, then I don't believe that Froome will drop at the bottom. And even not that far after that, we see Van Barla at the back of the group. We see Van Barla move up in the group. and. He has so much ease getting to the front. And a good minute later, he, he drops throughout the group and he's gone from that from that elite group. And once again, I do not believe that Van Bala was done working. I think this is a 
pre-planned idea to try and make sure that they've got as much as possible for tomorrow's stage in Angliru. And that fact got even got even better by the fact that Amador was gone even when Vingegaard was pacing at a pretty easy tempo. And I have, again, no beliefs that either of those three riders were used at their full capabilities on this climb to try and, well, prevent the situation in which they were placed. The fact that Carapaz was isolated with a good five kilometers to go, that Jumbo orchestrated the whole race, and as a consequence, Ineos was allowing themselves to be led by by Jumbo, and Jumbo decided for Ineos what the race was going to be like, and I believe that with those three riders, they could counter that, and I know that you could say, well, they don't have the strongest team, they didn't even try, and knowing what lies ahead, and knowing which races lie ahead, you've got Angliru, but mainly the time trial, on the time trial, Carapaz is destined to lose time. This is not the situation like stage 20 in the TDF, where Carapaz has perhaps some hidden time trial talent. I have a 100% confidence that Carapaz is losing time in that time trial to Roglic, unless there's a mechanical, unless Roglic gets ill, or unless some bad luck happens to Roglic, Roglic gains time on Carapaz. And... If it's on a normal day for both of the riders, no exceptionalities, no outliers, then it's one to two minutes. And if you're Carapaz, you need to take time on every possible moment. They did it in the first week. They were very aggressive in the first week. Today, they should have done at least something. And you could argue that Jumbo had so many teammates they could counter it. You don't know. Vingago, if... I don't believe that if Ambale, in the state he was in in the stages before today, would be pacing in, in that group that Vingegaard would be sticking on. I don't believe that. And perhaps that's me believing too much in, in Vambale, but I still believe that they just skipped on today to make sure they've got everything, all their firepower for Angliru. And if Karapas is dropping Roglic tomorrow but doesn't gain enough time back, then I think they're going to kind of regret not trying more today as well. But now talking to the question you actually asked me, Jumbo, I feel the moment you see that Carapaz is isolated, you can try stuff. You can, even at that point, try and launch a bit of an attack with Bennett to gain more time in GC. Even that tiny thing would force Ineos to rethink and perhaps consider Bennett for future stages if he gains more than what you would expect. Because if... Ineos is not pacing in that group, and Bennett gets away, then the Jumbo guys can pretty much counter any attack that follows. And sure, you might have had more attacks if you did not set a controlling pace, but on the other end, I don't think Carapaz is going to ride out the gap to Bennett. I don't know who else would have the incentive of riding behind the likes of Bennett. He's five minutes behind in GC, so that's a solid gap, but he endangers a potential top 10 plays of some people. He could be used as a satellite rider, even the last section of this climb. If this works and and you got Bennett before, then you can try and respond to that and use that. But in the end, I do want to say that despite Jumbo playing extremely defensively, they still come out of this as the winner. And I believe that people are probably going to compare this to the Tour de France and are going to say, well... 
look, look at what happened in the Tour de France in the time trial. What if it happens again on the time trial? I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is that Roglic could perhaps have gotten the stage one here, could perhaps have gained more seconds on Carapaz, and that could counterbalance any bad luck in the future. And that's a, an important figure. If, for example, Roglic has a puncture somewhere in the stage with four kilometers to go in perhaps the flat stage that is coming, and he loses like, I don't know, a minute and a half, then you're going to have something to try and counter that. Anything can happen outside of the time trial as well. And you can use these stages knowing that you were the strongest in all the stages before, that you can gain more time on the others. But then again, yeah, they're still in the prime position of winning the Vuelta for me. I mean, I, I couldn't disagree more about the Ineos stuff. I think this is a stage with over 4,500 metres of climbing. Froome has showed nothing that he previously that he'd be even getting to where he got today. I think it was a great success where he got today, getting to the base that final climb. I think he was at the max. I think because there wasn't a large pace and it was more of an attritional stage, that's why we saw Amador and Van Bala going back no, I don't think that those guys deliberately drop themselves. Ineos wouldn't have a plan to deliberately isolate Carapaz if they could avoid it. So I don't agree there. I don't think all Ineos did basically was expend Cameron Worth. So not a massive loss. I, I just don't think they have the horsepower to really try anything today. And they're just trying to keep Carapaz as close as possible. And they couldn't do a better job of that because he's at the same time still as Primoz Roglic. They got to, they're just trying to keep him as close as possible to him for as long as possible, try and limit losses in the TT and just find one of these weird stages with a lot of rain, a lot of cold, maybe Rolich has an off day, uh, etc., and try and strike back there. We've already had a stage on Ford and Miguel where Roglic lost 43 seconds, just like that, to Carapaz. Um, so that could certainly happen again. We've got to remember that Roglic has been beset by that sort of bad luck in Grand Tours, Vuelta last year, same sort of weird stuff just kept happening. Not always his fault, but yeah, Tour de France, they didn't ride aggressively, didn't gain much time. So I don't, sorry, I'll get to Yemba Vision in a second, but I don't have much criticism for Ineos. There's something wrong with Sosa. He's yeah, not sure. there in the final climbs. Yep. Uh, so that's definitely not part of their plan. Like Part of their plan going into the Vuelta would have been Sosa being there for Carapaz. So that's obviously an issue for them. But Going into that last 12Ks, that last final climb, we've got – okay, I get it. You don't want to make a big deal about chasing down the breakaway. You've already won like three stages. All it represents is some bonus seconds and four bonus seconds assuming Carapaz is on Roglic wheel anyway. Is it worth before Anglerou pacing to the max, chasing down the breakaway? I mean, up to you, Jumbo Visma, they didn't. That's fine. Totally get it. They had the option to send Kusel Bennett into that break or into a break. They didn't do that. Again, okay, before Angleroo, fine, whatever. Um, but then going into the final climb, we have Carapaz isolated the entire time. We've got all the other teams, apart from Vlasov, actually. They're not really having teammates. Maybe Carthy did. Martin's on his own as well. Um, and I don't think they're too worried about anyone else, Jumbo Visma, apart from Carapaz and, and Dan Martin. They're not worried about Mas or Carthy. 
But I think they just decided, okay, we'll let Soler game a minute back, whatever. Don't care about him. He's going to lose time on Angleroo tomorrow, especially after today. What is the downside? Even if Roglic doesn't feel that great, and I don't think we saw any evidence that he didn't feel that great because he's still, <laughs> yeah, he's still fine in the sprint at the end. What is the harm in sending uh, George Bennett up the road um, and trying to gain back some time on GC? What is the harm in pacing just a little bit harder? I just thought just get it to like a minute 30 at the base of the climb or a minute 30 into the last 8Ks and say, Sep, stay, do your thing, go for the stage win um, or try gain back a little bit of time on GC or see what the other GC teams do. Or alternatively, if you don't want to do that with Bennett or Coos, if you want to actually be aggressive and what Team Sky would have done and what Contador would have done or what US Postal would have done or a lot of other GC teams, the strongest GC teams, they would have ridden a a hard train and exposed, see if they could find any cracks in uh, Karapaz's armour, see if he was on a bad day. Now, if, nothing, if you see nothing happening with three Ks to go, two and a half Ks to go, just dial it back. Um, that's fine, and you can just ride it in, etc. But they didn't even probe Carapaz and see see how he was feeling today after maybe after yesterday and, you know, it's, it's the end of the season, etc. So the fact that Yumba Visma just rode it in, just accepted that Rolich and Carapaz were going to stay at the same time, I think it's not an excuse that there's Angleroo tomorrow because... They could have played cards that didn't involve Roglic at all and would have even strengthened their position for Angleroo uh, tomorrow. And I think it is extremely naive to just rely on ITT time to win this Vuelta. As I said, they've already lost time in the rain. You never know what can happen in a Grand Tour. Carapaz could have a magic day. It's no guarantee Roglic even gains time on Angleroo tomorrow. He probably will. He's probably... He's likely going to be the favorite but nothing in life is guaranteed so if you felt good today as well you know it's just it's also a test run for tomorrow for next year's tour de france because say what if it's pagacha there benji why don't they you know i know probably a grand tour is not the time to be doing test testing things out but <laughs> why not test out a more aggressive strategy if it's pagacha there benji do you think they have to be more aggressive today hmm I think they or should. Daniel or Coos? I think they should, and I think they should just go for Roglic then at this point. If Pogacar was in that second position, and it obviously depends on the form that Pogacar would have in that situation, because if they are similar to what Carapaz and and uh, well Roglic are doing right now, then I'd still be worried having Pogacar on the same second, knowing that the time trial could benefit both sides depending on. The um, well, I don't know what to call it, but the form of the riders on that time trial. So that could go either way. But here, Carapaz has the disadvantage of that time trial purely, and we could say that after the ITT, there's plenty of stuff that can still happen. But I believe that honestly, the Kovatia stage is not looking as opportunistic as I hoped it would potentially to bring even changes in the GC. For me, I think this Grand Tour is going to be decided on the time trial day, and I think you disagree on that. Yeah, I disagree, because a lot of people think, oh, well, Roglic beat 
Carapaz on Moncalvillo by 13 seconds or whatever, so you extrapolate that out, then that means he's going to beat him on every mountaintop finish, on every stage by the same, you know, extrapolate that amount out more maybe for the angler route. That's not how Grand Tours work. People have good days in maybe the second week, a bad day in the third week. Contador got worn down at the end of Giro 2015. He'd been destroying Landa and Aru, like almost laughing at them. And then he lost time, I think, to Sestriere. Um, if my memory serves me correctly, on stage 20. Froome and Kobo. I think Kobo dropped Froome in the earlier stages. Then Froome went and won on Peña Cabaga and dropped Kobo. 2011 Vuelta, 2014 Vuelta. Froome and Contour, I think, were going back and forth. Contador won a stage in game time. And then I think on today's stage, on today's stage finish, on uh, whatever it's called, uh, Contador dropped Froome. Then on another stage, Froome dropped Contador. Um so it's not a guarantee that Roglic is just going to drop Carapaz on every mountaintop finish for the rest of this Vuelta. I said going into the Vuelta, you've got to be careful that Roglic has raced a fair few race days at a high level in a short period of time under a lot of intense pressure. And to take that pressure off him, it would be to, where possible, try and gain some more time and give him a little bit of a buffer, maybe when he is feeling good and he has a strong team. So... Yeah, I just maybe I'm actually more conservative in that I feel feel like people or teams should be more aggressive when they have the strength because I always worry about bad things that could happen in later weeks. Uh, and you've got hundreds of thousands of euro on the line. You've got the strongest team. You've got the strongest rider on paper. He's looking fantastic. I just think you wanna you wanna protect that. And it's normal in cycling. It's more often than not that the GC contender Roglic or his teammates or whatever would have been aggressive today, even with the Angleroo. That's my opinion. Let us know in the YouTube comments down below. I don't think Benji and I disagree too much on the general principle that Jumbo Visma did yeah. ride quite defensively today and also that you never know what can happen in a Grand Tour. This could – I mean, how surprised, Benji, would you be if Carapaz gained 30 seconds on Roglic in a later stage in this year's Vuelta, how surprised? Hmm. Ah, it depends. I don't... It depends. It depends on the situation, you know, because it all depends on the context where they both are before it happens. And if, for example, Roglic is in the lead at that point, then then I would probably still say that the strategy would work if it's only 30 seconds and Roglic would stay in the lead afterwards. But if it, for example, happens tomorrow, then the whole road is open, everything is open again, and then everything can happen. But I think after the time trial, if Angliru does not make a difference between the two, which I think it will, I would love it if it will, because... Anglieru should be won by the best GC climber in the race. That is the law, and um, <laughs> therefore I want that. Now, I don't think that. Well, it's it's so I don't know. It's so hard to say, but I don't think the latter stage of okay. of this Grand Tour Let's allowed just that. An alternate reality, an alternate reality where after stage seventeen, it's been raining all day. Yeah, Twitter's filled with photos of Roglic shivering in the rain, <laughs> and he's just. He's just shedding time to Carapaz and it's getting really close on GC. Do you think that is literally out of the question or is that something that could actually happen in reality? 
Well, everything is possible. That is also very much possible. I, I have exactly. to say, it's always possible that something happens towards the end. But if we analyze stuff, we have to analyze it towards the possibility chances. And if you look at the mainstream possibility, the absolute normality from their history and combining that with what the last two weeks have looked at, then... If it doesn't have extreme conditions in favor of Karapas, then it's going to be hard to have that. But it's always possible in the end. And that's why cycling is great, because it often comes with wonderful unpredictability. Okay, tomorrow's stage, stage 12, the big one, from Polo de la Laviana to Alto de Langleru, 109.4 Ks, very short stage. And it's very different today, today's stage two. Today we're in a, an attritional stage. Tomorrow is flat, a couple of small cat three climbs and not much note. 6.4 Ks at 8.2%. A cat one, descent valley, 5.5 Ks at 8.8%. The Alto del Cordal, maybe, you know, that's a pretty hard climb, 5.5 Ks at 9%. Then the Angleru, 13.2 Ks at 9.4% HC climb, not up to altitude, it is filthy. It's such a, a nasty climb. There is, It starts with a 5.5K section, I think, at 7.4%, and then I think the last section is the last 6.2K is a 13.7%. So, I mean, we've spent a lot of this podcast talking about why people, what what happened today, but you just look at that that climb tomorrow. There is a, a kilometre that is averages, according to the Flamme Rouge, 17.6% for a kilometre. So the, the last 7.6K of this is just absolutely disgusting, 13% average gradient. And I honestly don't know how confident i feel about anyone winning because it's just so attritional who, who have you got benji roglic has got to be the favorite right on paper yes if it rains no but it doesn't look like it's going to be raining today from the forecast that i saw i'm going to make a non-winning prediction i'm going to tell you that the rider that will end second on the stage will be wild pools now why do I think that Wout Pools is going to end second on the Angliru? That is because, well, what is the last time they did Angliru? Was that 2017? I think, yes. And yeah, he was second on the Alto del Angliru in 2017. If you look at the last time before that, that they had the Angliru uh, 2013? I don't know. It was 2013, but I don't remember when... Wapools did it again, but I recall him getting second on a similar stage at some point again. So I guess I'm wrong because I can't find the second long leader he got second on. But all in all, I'm going to tell you Wapools will end second tomorrow. I believe in it. I believe he's going to rise from the ashes and he's going to try and get something random happening on this final ascension. It's unlikely, but the unlikeliest of things are often the beauty. Okay, I ruined that beautiful sentence. <laughs> are often the most beautiful. Um, if I have to go for GCN so forth, I think that Vlasov is going to win the stage. And that is because, well, he promised it. He didn't say it purely, but he seemed on the podcast to be not 
the extreme confident guy that I expect most cyclists to be. And he was saying that he was aiming for a top 10 on Anglidu to try and stick with the best and consider himself be there with the best if he's top 10 on Anglidu. Nah, mate, got to get a top five. Otherwise, it's a disappointment, Alexander. Come on. And I think he's going to win it as a consequence. And therefore, I think that Roglic is not going to win it because of Lazovez. And um, we'll see him uh, come out of nowhere. But yeah, if we look at Roglic versus Karapas, it favors Roglic more this finish. But on the other end, it would be much better for the rest of the race if Karapas is able to take time on Roglic. But rather less likely looking at the last two weeks, to be honest. Yeah, I think Roglic or Koos win the stage, uh, to be honest. And I don't really think Jumbo Visma will use Koos, unless they can get a gap with Koos and Roglic using Koos as a satellite, and then Roglic gives him the stage win. Then, um, yeah, I think I think it'll be Roglic. I just can't look past him because he's he's small and yeah, just punchy. And uh, on a pure watts per kilo basis, no one's touching Roglic in this year's welter, and this is a pure watts per kilo climb tomorrow. Um, and yeah, Carapaz, I think will be struggling to hold, hold their wheel. And I think Koos will do fine on this climb tomorrow as well. That's probably why they didn't burn him today. Vlasov, I think it's a little bit too hard for him. I think he prefers those Montmont 2 style climbs. That's perfect for him. Montmont 2 is all, uh, the challenge he won. So I think it's a little bit steep for him. I still expect him to come top five. Carthy. I feel bad for Carthy. He's like six foot five, right? It's just, it's <laughs> I mean, he's got to be the he'll he's got to be the best place finisher tomorrow on Angleroo for a person that tall. Surely, I'm not sure how, how tall if he's taller than Froome and Zachary. And I assume he is, but yeah, because they did pretty well in 2017. But um, yeah, I'm going with Roglic tomorrow. Mm, no breakaway. It's just too short a stage, 110 k's. But maybe <laughs> maybe Yumbo let the uh, <laughs> Let the break go again. But big stage tomorrow. Can't wait. Langlaru, the watts per kilo test. There'll be some pain faces. And uh, Benji and I are going to hopefully have to moderate which one of you, which one of us you all say is the the, uh, the correct one in the YouTube comments. We look forward to reading <laughs> uh, your opinion on today's stage. But, Maybe but, I think. But, 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 but I've got some news oh, okay, after the stage today. And um, oh, okay. it is unfortunate news because. We've anticipated this moment so long. Jakub Mareczko was starting La Vuelta. He was looking like the worst climber as a sprinter that started this La Vuelta. Apparently not because Moschetti went OTL earlier. Today he was looking like he would be out of time limit throughout the stage and decided to say, no, 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 not out of time limit. I'm going to DNF. So he didn't OTL La Vuelta. He just stepped in the car. That's cheating. <laughs> the whole OT- OTL prediction is gone. <laughs> anyway, that was some extra news I wanted to give you before we leave you. Okay, so tomorrow Jakob Marechko will not be winning the stage on Angleru. If I could pick the stage winner, I'd be picking Vuelta Burgos Stage 5 Ivan Sosa, but he doesn't exist anymore. See you tomorrow. <laughs> Ciao. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.